This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday, August 29th. 2018 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm very happy to be with you today as I substitute for Steve Peasley. He is in San Jose. He's not on a leisure trip. He's meeting with our listeners and our clients today to help sharpen their their plan when it comes to reaching their financial goals. And these people made a wise decision to sit down with Steve so he can perform a no-cost portfolio review for them. And it's very personalized. It's a personalized portfolio review that could dramatically help them, help their performance of their investment assets and their financial course. And that's ultimately what those are all about. Now, if you missed out on today's opportunity to meet with Steve and you live anywhere in Northern California, he will be returning to San Jose in September. We will be getting those dates out very soon, so be aware and look out for them. Now, you could always call Steve or myself at our Dana Point, California office if you don't live in Northern California. And you can, we can Skype, we can uh, FaceTime, we can just have a regular phone call. And uh, our time obviously is limited, but we do find time regularly to talk with listeners, assess their situation, and give them some free advice on how they should move forward with their investing future. Now keep in mind that it is already August 29th, and the summer will end pretty much this weekend. Monday is a la- the Labor Day holiday, so I hope your summer was both enjoyable and profitable. And if we're, it was not as kind to your investments as you would have hoped for, stay with us today. I'm going to dispense, hopefully, a bit of wisdom and plenty of practical investment advice as well. Now, here's a question that will be on the mind of anyone at or nearing retirement. Should I invest in stocks after retirement? The correct answer to that important question depends on many variables. I know you are looking for financial freedom, so I will help you choose a path. That information is coming up in just a few minutes now. But first, we have figured out that involving the input of our Invest Talk listeners early in the program seems to be a great idea. You guys like that. So let's get to a question that came in earlier on our 24-hour anytime line at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Lou from Fort Worth, Texas. Got a question about financial advisors. If I was about to find myself a financial advisor, what can I expect to pay for them? I've had a couple of, quote, free financial advisors in the past, and it seems like they were very eager to get me into very expensive mutual funds. And I'm sure that's where they derive most of their income. But I'm looking for someone who I pay to help manage a, a block of money. So I'm just curious what percentage or what annual dollar amount I should expect. Thank you. 
All right. Well, great question. And you're right. The, typically, the free financial advice is uh, not exactly free because they're going to be putting you likely in high commission type of products like A-share mutual funds. Uh, they'll probably get what is called a 12B1 fee on the back end that you don't really see uh, but is embedded in the fees of the fund and they're going to get paid on the back end. And that's very typical of kind of the larger shops out there. And they're under what is called the suitability standard, which basically means they can buy anything for you or advise you to buy anything as long as it fits your risk tolerance, right? And it doesn't matter how high the fees are. So that's not something you want to deal with. In fact, the industry is trying to go away from that into these the uh, fiduciary standard. And that's what you should be looking for is an advisor that is a fiduciary. We are fiduciaries. Anybody who is an RIA, a registered investment advisor like us, is going to be a fiduciary, which means puts the interest of you, the investor, ahead of their own. Okay, so that's first off. Always look for a fiduciary. Ask them if they are a fiduciary. Second, how much should you pay? Well, that depends on how much they're offering. What are they offering? Are they just managing your money? Or do they offer financial planning tips and tools? Uh, how much communication are you getting? Um, what's the safety of the underlying broker that you're working with, right? Because uh, you always want a third-party broker. Like a, like a Fidelity, a Schwab, we use TD Ameritrade, uh, companies like that that are CIPIC insured, you want to make sure that uh, happens as well. You can pay anywhere from, I would say, half a percent if you have multi, multi, multi millions of dollars, and upwards of 2% if you kind of have a low dollar amount, okay, 2.5% maybe. So it varies dramatically, uh, I would say. If you have over a million dollars, that's probably somewhere in the 1% range is what you should be looking to pay 1% annually. Uh, like I said, if it's 5 million or 10 million, uh, you could probably get lo lower than that. So I hope that gives you kind of a, a sense. It also depends on what you're investing in. Uh, is it an actively traded fund or strategy or is it something that's kind of where you buy you know, dividend paying stocks or, or maybe or bonds, and that's going to be less of a work uh, for you. Or is it ETFs? Well, there's another layer of funds. Look for that as well, because a lot of them will use ETFs and other funds, and there's another layer of funds there that you have to make sure you look into as well. Hope that gave you a, gave you a sense. If you want to give our office a call or shoot me an email, I can certainly give you more specifics based on your current situation and what your goals are and what you're looking to do. Now, we found a very interesting story at usatoday.com. It puts forth the universal question for every investor and a decision that must make at some point in their cycle, their life cycle, their investing life cycle. And the question is, I'm about to retire. Is it a good idea to put all my savings in investments with guaranteed income streams like bonds? And really, the short answer is no. Although you should definitely reduce your stock allocation in retirement, it's not always wise to get out of stocks altogether. And the reason is inflation. If inflation picks up, bonds really are not a great place to be. And typically, stocks tend to do pretty well in that environment. Or at least they will keep up with inflation. Now, that doesn't mean you should always go that route. But it depends on your amount of money you have, your risk tolerance level. If a steady income is all you need to live your life the way you want to based on 
the amount of money you have and a nice five six percent yield is going to get you there uh, i could say having a small percentage in stocks and the vast majority in bonds wouldn't be the worst idea so for example maybe you have a million dollars uh, and you need fifty dollars in annual income and you might be able to get that fifty thousand dollars in bonds but the question is five years from now ten years from now are you going to be able to is fifty thousand dollars going to go as far then and if inflation stays two percent or higher it's going to be a different scenario where you need more income down the line so that stock portion can generate income hopefully as well as grow that income stream over time helping you keep up with inflation that's why for for our clients uh, typical retirees they're in what is called our balanced income strategy which is 50% corporate bonds 50% dividend paying stocks because you have income from both sides but you have an upside of the equity side as well so understand that every situation is always different but you do need to likely invest in some stocks have some exposure to the equity markets in retirement but ideally you would also get some income from that side as well now are you ready to reach out and talk with Steve he is always willing to give you a no-cost portfolio review consultation you can call us at our KPP Financial Dana Point California office at 800-557-5461 or you can message us through investtalk.com as well well we're off to a great start the phone lines are open so please call with your questions sooner rather than later we only have about 40 minutes left in the show so 888-99 chart is that number 888-992-4278 this is invest talk i'm justin klein and you may have noticed that we get plenty of specific stock questions on the program each and every weekday and that's fine but Steve and I like to promote a broader understanding of various investment terms, practices, and market processes as well. So get us your question. All types of questions are welcome at 888-99-CHART. It's a Wednesday Invest Talk. We're already in the final week of August. School's back in session. The Labor Day holiday arrives Monday, but there's still time for you to sharpen your investing skill set. Stay with Invest Talk. Justin's here, and he's taking your finance and investing questions live. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Jim in Kentucky. You want to talk about advisors? Yeah, um, it's it's Tim, um, but I was actually calling. Uh, I just got um, left an interview at New York Life um, for one of their mm-hmm. sales positions, and it felt more like a sales pitch than a uh, an interview. Um, and I just I'm trying to figure out what questions I need to be asking them. Um, I, I talked to them about suitability um, versus you know, that, that kind of situation and, you know, how they were making, where their, their margins were as far as how they were paying their people. And, and it's really selling those 
life insurance policies, particularly whole life. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess my question to you guys, uh, to you is, what what questions do I need to be asking them as far as um, what kind of products they're selling, that sort of thing? Well, first, I wouldn't uh, be going to them, but um, I, I do understand what you're looking at because uh, we have clients, uh, I have a specific client that I'm thinking of that was at MetLife, actually a, a college friend of mine, uh, and that's what they were pushing, you know, universal life policies, and um, you know, we're not big fans. Uh, Steve worked in that industry for a very long time, so he kind of understand the games that insurance companies play when it comes to those policies. Uh, I mean, first off, you have to ask how they're getting paid. Uh, what is the commission that the salesperson is getting? Because typically, for those types of policies, they're getting six, seven, eight, nine percent uh, commissions up front. Uh, what are the embedded fees within the 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 the, the products? Uh, because there typically are a lot. Uh, they'll pitch that you can borrow money against it, uh, but what are the fees when you borrow money? Of course, they're going to allow you to borrow your own money, but when you give your money to uh, a universal life or whole life policy like that, you're basically the money is the insurance company's. It's not really yours. Uh, and it locks up the the money. What are the lo- what's the lockup period to where you can, can't withdraw, right? Um, so there's there's a lot of questions to ask because they're very complex vehicles. Uh, I would just say I wouldn't be messing with any of them, to be frank. I, well, and I appreciate that, and that's that's the way I was leaning. Just needed that confirmation. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for calling. I hope uh, I answer your questions, and I hope you find a fiduciary advisor. Maybe that's us. Maybe that's somebody else that will put your interest ahead of their own and uh, hopefully practice parallel investing like us, which uh, we invest right alongside our clients. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you'll subscribe to the Invest Talk podcast via iTunes, Spotify, or even Google Play. Then listen, rate, and review. And please tell your friends about all of our Invest Talk platforms, radio, podcast, live web stream, and of course, investtalk.com. Well, it is a busy Wednesday, and August is almost over. It's true. Just a few more days left. Actually, two more trading days left in the month. The phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. If there is ever a moment when you question how well your portfolio is doing or maybe how well it should be doing, make time to look into the various investment strategy programs available to clients of KPP Financial. Just head over to investtalk.com, roll across the investment programs menu link and read about them. There's one that will be suited to your needs. And now we're taking your financial and investment questions live. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Amit in San Jose. He wants to talk about XLF, the financial ETF, correct? That's correct. Thanks. Okay. Are you looking to buy it? You hold it? Well, my opinion is I don't like the financial sector as a whole uh, right now. I, I just think we're... Uh, you have a yield curve that is compressing, uh, which makes the, okay. their 
profitability harder and you are late in the cycle and the, if you look at the chart while the major indexes are uh, at or, or exceeding their highs from January this is not in any stretch of the imagination it's high back in January was let's see thirty dollars and thirty three cents and now we're at twenty eight fifty nine so it's still a decent percentage off of that high while everything else is is making highs or at least certain you know certain major sectors are, are making highs so I do not like XLF at all okay okay uh, okay my second question is about Amazon uh, how high can it go okay. it can go to infinity I mean uh, it's 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 <laughs> a it's a stock that uh, it's a company that really it, it's it's taking over the world to some degree and it's certainly overvalued from any traditional metric that you would look at but it's a good company uh, you know uh, but it's been it's been overvalued for a long time to be frank uh, it's a momentum stock when this momentum goes away it will go down dramatically it's just a matter of from what level does it does it go to I don't know. There's no overhead resistance. It's at all-time highs. So I can't give you an answer of how I can go. It can go really as high as it wants to go as long as money keeps flowing into the name. And I think it will keep flowing in the name until uh, growth starts to slow. Okay. okay. All right. Thank Thanks you for the call. Much. No problem. Let's go to John in Santa Cruz. He wants to look at JD. Correct? Yeah. Hi. JD. Are you look? Are you looking to buy JD? What are you looking for? Oh, yes, sir. Looking to buy. Looking to okay. buy. Okay. Well, this is a name that is a Chinese retailer. Uh, they don't they kind of call it the Amazon of China, in a way. Do they? <laughs> I thought Alibaba was the Amazon well, not, of China. Well, I guess yeah. Maybe JD.com is more like the eBay of. Uh, of, yeah, of, of China. Either way, this is a stock that's down about 37% from its high back in March-ish time frame. Now at $31.95 the close today. Earnings are now falling. That's why. Uh, earnings were $0.56 cents a share last year. Now they're projected to be only $0.49 cents this year. So let's go up 94% next year, but those are also dropping as well, those estimates. Loads at uh, earnings are once again down 50% year over year. Revenues are now slowing. They were growing at uh, about high 40% clip. Now their last quarter was only 34%. I think this continues to have more downside. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. It's still a $45 billion market cap on company that does call it uh, 30 or 40 billion in sales. So you know what would be and, and earnings are falling. Is it yeah, earnings? Uh, earnings earnings projections are going down. They continue to uh, decline, and this is a growth name. And any time, this is what I talk about with growth names. When growth slows on a growth name, watch out because it will correct dramatically, and this will probably continue to correct. Uh, I think this needs to go back down to its lows from 2016, and I think it'll get there. I think it'll be a $20, low $20 uh, stock in you know a year's time. So I would not be buying JD.com. Thanks for the call. Let's go to James in Santa Rosa. He wants to look at PI 
M-I-X. This is a PIMCO fund, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. And what I'm actually asking about here is I've owned it for years uh, for income. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how yep. will this react? Should the, uh, should the uh, uh, interest rates go up, say, half a point? Or how will it react if all of a sudden the stock market goes down by 10 15%? We have a pullback. Got it. Well, this is the PIMCO Income Fund, and this is one of the better funds out there uh, when it comes to a, uh, a bond fund. It has a very strong long-term track record. Now, the effective duration is about 3.4%, and what that means is that if interest rates move, they say the 10-year Treasury moves up one percentage point from, say, call it 3% now to 4%, this will likely fall by about 3.4%. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that that makes sense. I'm I've had it for years and I'm just I'm really using it for uh, income. It's uh its distribution is it's like an annuity. It does the same uh, uh, 0.055% uh, every single mm. month. Yeah. I I think your they would they do take some credit risk. So that's a worry uh, if you, you know, the, the market falls out of bed and risk appetite, you know, goes to where it was in 2007 or in eight, uh, this could be a big issue. Uh, so that's what I would worry about is the safety of it longer term, but not in the near term. Give me a call. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. Our podcast continues on next. It may be hard to believe, but the average 401k investor misses out on over $5,000 per year in investment gains. How come? Poor timing and subpar fund choices. That's the big challenge that is being met now with active 401k. The typical 401k plan has limited choices. People don't know what to do, and that's exactly why active 401k was devised. It may be just what you've needed. It ranks your current options within your current employer's plan, and then all you do is log in and make the changes. You'll be told exactly what to buy, what percentages, and what funds. This program is offered by invitation to KPP clients and limited number of our listeners, too. And if you'd like to see more about it, just go to investtalk.com and click on the Investments tab, and then look for Active 401k. Now let's get back to our podcast. Have you subscribed to the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play? If not, please do so. Then listen, rate, and review. This helps us improve our Invest Talk programming. And now, Justin's here and he's taking your calls. 888 99Chart. Now, our main talking point today concerns the changing world of consumable libations. And admittedly, I've given the term libations a very broad meaning because there is a report that says the maker and distributor of Smir Smirnoff vodka, Smirnoff libations, is looking for a pot partner, as in a legalized marijuana partner. And what is going on in the million dollar beer, wine, beverage, and now cannabis market? I'll look into that in just a minute. Also, time permitting, I want to talk a little bit about the tug-of-war 
between in the bond market right now with interest rates and why yields can't seem, at least longer term yields, can't seem to get a move. Right? They've been kind of stuck in this range on the 10-year and between 2.8 and 3% for a while now. And I'm going to talk about why that is and where I think the range will break up or down. Also, speaking of libations, there was a report uh, that the maker of Jack Daniels in their earnings report is raising prices due to tariffs. And I'm going to talk about why that's an ex one example of how tariffs in general are going to raise prices and increase inflation generally in the economy. And tariffs are really just a tax on the consumer. And then if we have time, something about term life insurance as well, but I don't know if we'll get there. But let's go directly into our topic today. And that is about the report that Smirnoff and Johnny Walker maker Diageo is in talks with at least three Canadian marijuana companies with the intent to purchase or collaborate in one shape or form with one of them. And this is looks like the start of a wave of large traditional beverage companies, shall we say, uh, alcohol companies, to partner with cannabis producers in order to maybe compete or use their distribution leverage to profit from this growing industry because it is growing pun intended I guess uh, and you know it's now legal in Canada uh, it's legal in many US states for medical purposes and a handful for recreational purposes including here in California which I am in Southern California and then there's I know there's a lot of listeners in Northern California so it's a it's something that is here uh, whether you like it or not that is an industry that is going from underground to mainstream and there is a lot of money to be made the big question is who is going to make it and certainly the there's been a reduction in the in alcohol consumption and you could blame that to um, being a more health health conscious society you could blame it on millennials who tend to drink less than their their parents and their parents parents you could blame it on the cannabis industry where people are turning to cannabis more than alcohol to become I guess inebriated in some way uh, change their state of mind shall we say uh, and that's just you can blame one of those but likely it's a combination of them all and even Molson Coors has shown that they have interest in the cannabis industry as beer sales have slowed. Now the big question is how do you take advantage of this? You've seen uh, uh, stocks like Canopy Growth Corporation rally, there's an ETF the MJ uh, that holds a lot of different cannabis type of companies and frankly I think it might have a little bit of legs in the near term. Uh, we just started to talk about it uh, really in earnest. Uh, legalization is only going to, I think, continue to ramp up. But the question is, who is going to win long term? And that is a very difficult thing to answer. And I'm going to say it's probably not the people 
or the companies, sorry, that are growing the cannabis. Why? Because it's a commodity. At the end of the day, it's going to be a commodity. Yes, there are different types, and you know, so one one producer uh, was gonna is gonna specialize in this type. Another producer is gonna specialize in this type, and but by the end of the day, it's a weed. That's why they call it weed, is because it's very easy to grow. And you've actually seen in the marketplace prices drop pretty dramatically, and. I don't think the actual producers are going to be the ones that make the money. The ones that I think they're going to make the money are the ones that have distribution. And that is why you see the likes of the alcohol companies trying to get into it. Because what do they have? They have distribution. And if more people are turning to cannabis as opposed to alcohol, they need to be on that bandwagon. And they need to know and work with somebody in the industry that is going to guide them, I guess, because these companies specialize in alcohol. Cannabis is new, not only to the world, but to many of them as well. So if you're looking for an investment in that industry, look for companies that have distribution, because those are the companies that will win out most of all. Think of uh, Coke, Coca-Cola, not cocaine, Coca-Cola. They make first. They made a lot of money on Coca-Cola because it was high-margin business, but eventually growth slowed. What did they do? They acquired other water companies and beverage companies. Why? Because they already had the embedded distribution, and they've made a lot. They make a lot more money having that distribution network than they actually do in uh, uh, just selling Coca-Cola. Now let's get to another caller who took time to leave their question or any time listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, this is Alias out of Corpus Christi, Texas. I was calling to figure out what goes on whenever you make a trade less than a year. I understand that there's a capital gain tax, but if you make a trade and you come up on top and you reinvest that money, are you still going to have to pay that tax or if you're reinvesting and throwing it back in, is it deferred because you haven't claimed it yet? Or if you take that money and put it into a tax-deferred account, what goes on? You still have to pay the tax. Is it only whenever you pull it out of the account that start using it? Look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Uh, good question. Now, when you tr- are trading in a taxable account, which is what I, th- I think you're talking about, if you take a profit you're going to have to pay tax on that profit. Now, you might have losses to offset it, and that's what happens at the end of the year. You get uh, your 1099 reports from your uh, broker, and they'll tell you, okay, you made this much or you took this much in in realized short-term gains, realized short-term losses, and you'll have realized long-term gains and realized long-term losses. Okay, So you have four kind of segments, and you can use you can use the losses to offset the gains. Okay, so you will have to pay it, even if you reinvested reinvest that money, unless you have losses to offset those gains. Even if you take that those gains and put them into an IRA, for example, or a Roth IRA, 
then you still pay tax on that gain that you made in that taxable account. Now, once it's moved to that tax-deferred account like an IRA or a Roth IRA, and you make trades in that account and you make gains, then you don't have to pay tax on that until you take the money out in the future. And as long as you wait till 59 and a half, you don't have to pay any penalty either. Okay, so you you take that money out, and in in an IRA, it's taxed as income to you. Okay, income uh, it's added to your adjusted gross income when you when you do your taxes. Okay, hope that helps. Uh, and, a, and any short-term capital gains are taxed at an ordinary income tax rate. Any long-term capital gains typically tax at 20% unless you don't earn a lot of money. There is a tier. Uh, and you'd have to look at that. Once again, I'm not a tax professional, but I know the basics, especially when it comes to investing. I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for making time to join us here each weekday from about 4 to 5 Pacific time. And we also stream this program live through investtalk.com and on YouTube as well. And yes, you can always choose to subscribe to our iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. I hope you do, as well as rate and review us as well. And just what do we do here on InvestTalk? Well, the idea is that the more you listen, the more you will learn about investing and related financial topics. Our theme on InvestTalk is above average investing for the average investor. Now, tomorrow on InvestTalk, why the best time to buy a new car is the fall. Coming up into the fall, summer's coming to a close, so maybe you might now might be a good time to start thinking about it. I know used car prices have definitely been falling dramatically. But right now, our phone lines are open, so please call in with your question to our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Where in the world is InvestTalk's Steve Peasley? Well, Justin's here today taking your questions because Steve is up in San Jose conducting portfolio review appointments for InvestTalk listeners. Now, Steve's schedule for today is filled. However, if you were unable to meet with Steve in San Jose this time, and you are serious about improving the efficiency, security, and performance of your portfolio, you are welcome to contact Steve or Justin at their Dana Point, California office. And of course, you can easily get a message through to them at investtalk.com. InvestTalk Radio continues now, and remember that you can invite your friends to listen live weekdays in the 4 o'clock hour Pacific time or whenever they want from the podcast player at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open, Justin's here, and he's ready and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Raphael in New Jersey. You want to look at T-C-I-H-Y? Is that the symbol? No. Hi, Justin. It's T-C-E-H-Y. Tencent Holdings. Gotcha. Tencent. Got it. Okay. Uh, you yeah. hold it. You're looking to buy it. Uh, I've only sold a few years, and I've recently bought more. And I wanted to get your <clears throat> your take on it um, because um, this company... This has um, over a billion users in its social platforms. And the interesting thing is there's a couple of reasons why I like it more even now. Because um, a lot of people don't know in the States, but in their social platforms, they don't, they, 
compared to like Facebook and other like Twitter and those types of people, they have like 10% of the ads right now. So they're really focused on just making people comfortable with the programs. And the, the, mod, the runway here is incredible. And the, the, the trade situation and all these things have really formed a really nice opportunity, I think, in this company. And um, a, a few, uh, just in general, most about companies like Tencent is that in 10 years' time, there's going to be like 10 companies that are going to basically just dominate everything across the globe. And I think this is one of them. I want to see what you thought. Well, frankly, I don't know a ton about Tencent as a company. It's a Hong Kong-based company, Chinese company. I know that they are in the social uh, media space. They provide internet and mobile value-added services and online advertising as well. Uh, there is a $438 billion market cap, and they do about $40 billion in sales per year, although that's growing pretty dramatically, but that has slowed. Uh, earnings were growing about 40 to 50 percent last year and so far this year in the first quarter only grew 11 percent and 24 percent last quarter so you're seeing a slowdown in earnings as well as slowdown in sales sales only grew 33 percent last quarter versus 62 percent about a couple quarters ago so that's my biggest worry is once again it's a uh, and that's why it's dropped right it's gone from 61 yeah. it's 52 week high now it's at 4620 its growth is slowing do you know why it's slowing do you have any idea is it the yeah, chinese I, economy because yes, the chinese economy is slowing yeah i absolutely know why it's slowing and that's another reason why i think it's an opportune time so the regulatory body in china is changing and the the authority okay. that handles the content of the gaming and how it's allowed to monetize has, has um, mm-hmm. basically has, has has paused monetization. So they got all they're doing everything the same. Mm-hmm. It's just that the monetization of those games has been paused. And on top of that, it's a bit of an Alibaba story where they put they're going they're growing in all these different phases. Sort of like the Amazon approach where they're investing for future growth. Mm-hmm. So you couple that mm-hmm. with the trade environment and the monetization. Uh, pause of the government, which is just temporary. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know any of this stuff, and I think it's, I think it's a golden opportunity. Is what the way I'm seeing it right now. Now you say that uh, it's paused. Do you do you, do you know it's paused? Yeah. Is this permanent, or they they plan to reinstate no. it after a while? Why did they pause it? Yeah, because the the agency um, I forgot the name of the Chinese governmental agency that handles. Uh, Looking through the content of the game, they're very, you know, they're very strident and strict about their material in China, mm-hmm. and so they they've changed out the body, the governing body, and so now everything's been paused and has been kind of like slow. So the pipeline is there, you know what I mean? It's just that its ability to gotcha. like with PUBG and Fortnite, they're just kind of reassessing it, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know, I, it all sounds, you know, very good. Uh, it's certainly not a cheap company, I'll tell you that much. But the the growth definitely needs to, to reinstate itself. I know the Chinese economy is slowing. That could be an issue as well. I would just make sure you limit it to, I, I, you know, I like what you're saying. And I like the, the, the strength of uh, the, their business because they do have a strong business. Uh, and I would just limit to no more than 5% of your overall portfolio. Thanks for the call, Rafael. Well, our Wednesday show is just about over. We have about 10 minutes left, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Hey, I've got a question. I have a sister who's moving on to another job, and she has a 401k, so she's going to roll it over. 
her husband also changed jobs a couple years ago, and he has a uh, rollover IRA. Will she be able to put that her 401k money into his IRA so they can combine it? And also, over the next five years, if you had one stock to pick, what stock would it be or what sector would it be? Appreciate your answer. Look forward to hearing it on the Internet. Thanks. Bye. Well, first, I can't really give a stock recommendation. Uh, if you want to ask about one specific stock, I can do that. Uh, rules preclude us from just throwing out uh, a company like that. But when it comes to your other question, you cannot combine spouses, IRAs, 401ks, etc. Just because you're married doesn't mean that you get to commingle the wife's 401k with the husband's IRA or something like that. You you can you can have separate yourself. You can combine all of your 401ks and IRAs into to one specific uh, one in your name and the husband's name and then one in the wife's name, uh, etc. But you can't combine spouses, 401ks, IRAs, etc. Hope that helps. 88899 chart 88992 I want to talk a little bit about yields and we've seen a a real tug of war recently in the bond market and bond markets are important. I know they're boring, but they're important because yields matter in a big way because the cost to borrow is the cost of money, the price of money. Okay, and how much money costs has a big factor in. Just look at the look at the real estate market right now. Real estate market's cooling. Why? Because the cost to borrow went up, and that changed the dynamics and the cost to pay a mortgage. And those dynamics play out all throughout our economy. Mortgage market's just the most obvious. But it happens in the corporate side with the cost to borrow going up and and bond yields when they borrow to go up, bank lending uh, going up, credit card rates going up, car loan rates going up. Okay, so it matters. And rates have been kind of stuck between about 2.77% since April and 3.11%. Right now we're about around the 2.9% rate. And what you're seeing is a battle between speculators and long-term buyers of the bonds, right? So pensioners, uh, pension funds, uh, big institutions who are trying to match liabilities with assets, right? So uh, many times they'll have say, a pensioner who they think is going to live another seven years based on actuary, actual consumption, or uh, assumptions, sorry, and they're going to want to buy a certain asset that is yielding a certain amount in order that, that also matures, say, seven years from now, okay? So that's what they try to do. They try to match their liabilities with their assets when it comes to duration and time maturity. But speculators are trying to make money on the short term. And we are now at record levels of speculation that rates are going up. And you might think, well, that should push rates up, right? Well, as that position builds, yes, 
it should. However, typically when this happens, it goes the other way. And why is that? Is that the money will, they're now short the bond market, right? If interest rates go up, bond prices go down. So they are effectively short the market because they're speculating that interest rates are going to go up. But when they go and cover that position, say the, it starts going against them, they need to unwind it and they need to buy bonds, right? They're short bonds. And so that's why I think rates are likely to go down from here, at least in the short to medium term. So if you're looking to refinance your home or you're looking to buy, I do think you're going to see lower rates probably by the end of the year. And that has nothing to do with the Fed at all. Well, that's it for a Wednesday edition of Invest Talk, another Invest Talk radio show destined to be posted within an hour to our podcast player library at investtalk.com. Steve Peasley returns tomorrow. So thanks for listening. I'm Justin Klein. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.